Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our friends around the world. This is Purpose Way 22 coming at you live on Gingerly, episode 11, season two with my good buddy, Style Pigeon. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. This week's been a long one, but uh, the weekend's been pretty restful so far. So I know you've been working a good bit, too. Uh, yeah. So I'm kind of like, my ADHD has been going crazy. Um, I sat down, I woke up this morning fairly early for a weekend day and started looking into ai tools and i've i've got like 35 different tools open in my browser right now so my, i love it that's like awesome. i said my adhd is off the chain right now that's like my everyday <laughs> as you know yeah yeah so yeah. hey well we're gonna keep the fun going today um in spite of our restful weekend so episode 11 of gingerly we're calling pigeons bitcoin interrogation and pretty much we're just gonna go through some hard bitcoin questions that you as a viewer might be asked if you're new to Bitcoin and your friends are skeptical and, um, you know, see if Pigeon can handle the heat. Because most of the time it's your boy Purple doing all of the talking. And so we're going to try and take the mouthpiece out of the old hand and see what the newbie can can get done today. So before we dive into the interrogation, I want to give a good shout out to our sponsors for the show, Roundly X. Uh, Roundly X is a simple to use app that allows you to round up your purchases into Bitcoin and other digital assets. Uh, it's a way that you can build wealth safely and conveniently over time. Helped me pay off my Subaru during the pandemic, which is awesome. But more than that, if you're into crypto, uh, they allow you to track all of your portfolio. So I'm talking NFTs, crypto, you know, any exchange that you're on, uh, real estate, your Robinhood account, your Wealthfront account, all that stuff you can track it in Roundly X. Uh, you can sign up with code Gingerly, get four bucks in Bitcoin uh, to get started if you don't have any Bitcoin. So uh, with that, let's dive into the interrogation. Nick, can you roll the intro, please? So hey, I heard... Before we get started, oh, okay. Sorry. Before we get <laughs> yes. started, I wanted to show you this. Um, my my dad uh, and my parents went to a bunch of different like breweries and uh, distilleries and stuff in Tennessee when they went on vacation, and I got they bought me this uh, apple cider. <laughs> sip gingerly it, because it, yeah, it says <laughs> sip gingerly on it. They bought it for me because of the podcast and whatnot. I was like, oh, that's awesome, and it's you know Tennessee, so that's um, awesome. And I just for, wanted to share it was from Pigeon Forge, right? Like so we got yeah, Pigeon yeah, that's and Pigeon Forge in both the same yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah so That's it's awesome. just like oh parents <laughs> yeah thanks mama and Papa. Or i did a little tiny heart <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool okay i just yeah. wanted to share so i heard you think you know something about crypto and bitcoin mr pigeon <laughs> let's find out <laughs> dun, dun, dun. we thought about being all dramatic with this interrogation and actually like doing low lights and like you know pigeon was yeah, i thought i was gonna set up a spotlight <laughs> But rather than being that dramatic, you know, we thought we'd rein it in a little bit and just have a good conversation uh, and ask some hard questions. So um, Pigeon actually came up with this question on his own, which I think is a great one because I haven't been asked this in a long time. And I think it's probably because I have kind of skirted telling people what I do for real because I get tired of answering these questions. Um, it's a cop out. But so the first question is, how much Bitcoin do you own, Mr. Pigeon? Uh, the answer to this question, in my opinion, is uh, twofold. One, none of your business. Mm. Uh, that's typically what I tell people who ask me who know. Uh, if if you know about Bitcoin, you know about this crypto Twitter, or you know you're in the space at all, and you ask me how much Bitcoin I have, I'm going to be uh, pretty upset about it. Like, yeah, 
that's absolutely none of your business. It's a um, faux pas in the community, right? Like we just don't, yeah, we don't yeah. do that. Well, I mean, and okay. So, and then that brings me into my next one. Uh, cause I actually had somebody ask me this at a, at a gas station, uh, like a gas station clerk was like, Oh yeah, you're into Bitcoin. How much Bitcoin do you own? And I was like, well, that's kind of like asking somebody how much money is in their account. Um, and so like, you probably wouldn't appreciate me being like, Hey, how much money do you have on you right now? Yeah, no, not really. And, <laughs> and the way that I responded to him to kind of, cause I didn't want to like cause a big scene at the gas station. Right clerk spot you know um so i told him well probably enough to get me in trouble but not so much that i'd die or anything if uh bitcoin did something funky yeah. um it was just kind of a general non-answer and that's what i typically recommend for people uh just starting in this space it just skirt skirt it you don't you don't have to tell people how much bitcoin you have um that's it's why a rude you, question i just want to say that, that straight yeah. up it's a rude question like I think it's easy to slip up and be like, oh, we're talking about this magic internet money that doesn't really have any value. And so you can tell me how much you have. But that's just, it's a noob question for one thing. They just don't know what they're asking. Or maybe they do know what they're asking. But regardless, you need to keep your safety in mind. So, you know, yeah. don't go around holding your wallet open being like, look how much money I have. You know, that's stupid. We don't do yeah. that. So. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's open your wallet at the table and get some cash out before you go to the bar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So be safe and be nice. Don't ask people how much Bitcoin they own. So first hard question down. Good work, Mr. Pigeon. So, <laughs> yeah. Start out. Yeah. Good. Woo. All right. Question two. We'll see how the rest of this goes. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. They get progressively harder for the record. So we're going to oh, see how, uh, how many we can make it through. Also, full disclosure, I have seen these questions before. Uh, yeah. So I, I didn't like sit down and Google all the answers for them. Uh, intentionally, mm -hmm. I, I, I know there are some in here that I probably don't know the answer to. So Anyway, yeah, please continue. Nick, Nick actually, uh, oh yeah, Paul just left a really helpful comment that I want to read out loud because it's really important. It's the best way to sum up question one. Rule number one in Bitcoin, talk about Bitcoin, but not your Bitcoin. That's, you don't need to say anything else. That's the perfect way to put it, 100%. Paul so, has such and, clean ways of putting things. Yeah. Love that, Paul. I mean, he's, a, he's an OG, you know, we love Paul. He knows his stuff. Follow the crypto curator because he knows what he's doing. So let's move on to question two real quick. Why are you, Mr. Pigeon, trying to be anonymous with Bitcoin? What are you hiding? <laughs> oh, I, I love this question because I'm not. Uh, and believe it or not, a lot of people don't realize this, but Bitcoin's not anonymous. Uh, it's not anonymous at all. It's actually the opposite of anonymous. It's fully transparent. Mm. If I find out that you have a wallet i can look and see exactly what transactions have happened in that wallet and and track that down it's a good bit of legwork to do that from what i understand and mm -hmm. i don't have any reason to track down other people's bitcoin so why would i bother but um that's actually the answer to that question for me is i'm not hiding anything that's actually why i like bitcoin is because it's not it's i mean it's essentially public if you want to do the work you can figure out where the money's gone and you know we always talk about follow the money if you want right. to know you know if if let's say bitcoin was global and and fully adopted right 100 percent adoption um that changes a lot of things for a lot of people who maybe have been hiding some rather illicit transactions mm -hmm. that they can hide that stuff with the current system by moving right. the money around but you can't do that with bitcoin um even through tornado cash i think was what it was called um mm -hmm. yeah episode one of gingerly throwing it back yeah you can mix up your bitcoin 
via things like Tornado Cash, but I think they got shut down. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, John. No, um, you're right. So they got shut down, and it's even then it was only a matter of extensive legwork that had to be done in the accounting to figure out right. where that Bitcoin came from and where it went. So right. I'm not anonymous. Um, you can find that stuff. I'm not trying to hide anything. Just want a better financial system to operate on. So this isn't in the script, and I, I want to throw this in just to be fun. Um, so, <laughs> so okay, if you're not trying to be private, why should I use Bitcoin? Why do I want people knowing everything that I do with my money? Well, I highly recommend, per the first question, not letting everyone know what you're doing with your money. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the reason that you'll want to use Bitcoin actually has very little to do with anonymity and a lot mm. to do with security. So from from this vantage point, right, if we want to talk about why to use Bitcoin, we can have a very much larger conversation about sure. what the current uh, economic system looks like, things that we do or don't like about it and how Bitcoin solves or continues those issues. You know, there's a lot of issues that Bitcoin doesn't solve, uh, like the fact that there are evil people in the world. If Bitcoin gets adopted 100 percent, it doesn't make evil people go away. They're still there. Mm. They're just using Bitcoin now. Um, so. It doesn't solve that problem. Totally understand. But when it comes to the anonymity issue, I'm not trying to be anonymous. I just want my money to be secure. And with Bitcoin, it is. Mm, yeah. Assuming I like that, that I take the appropriate responsibility to take care of my own security. Right. Yeah. No, good caveat. And then I would also like add as a follow up to my own question, like uh, an observation that you know, um, you already trust the people who are at the bank and anyone that has direct access to the bank, i.e. the government, uh, with your transaction history. So it's not as if your bank is keeping your information private. Like, you know, people buy and sell our data all the time without any problems, you know. And so how do you think that social media platforms are guessing, like, exactly the stuff that you end up purchasing? It's because your bank has sold your records. Like, right. So there you go. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So this next one um, is a very relevant one uh, for current conversations in the crypto sphere. So maybe for brand new newers, you might not have heard about this. We're going to ask a question about the ordinal protocol that's coming up. Basically, a quick summary that's allowing um, people to put uh, images slash NFTs directly into blocks in the Bitcoin block. Um, kind of skirting the need for like a web three product, so to speak. But so the question here that I wanted to ask, and we can do this quickly is transaction speed and gas fees, since a few NFT projects have launched on the Bitcoin network, um, have gone up, right? Because people are putting more stuff into the block, there's more storage size. Uh, so the fees are going higher. Won't that begin to have a negative impact on gas fees and thereby Bitcoin usage? Okay, so my because of the fact that my technical knowledge is limited, yeah, I don't fully understand gas fees yet. From what I know, my understanding is that gas fees actually are kept low on the blockchain that Bitcoin runs on, or that Bitcoin is really. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason that they're kept low is due to the mechanism of checking the ledger, uh, which is called proof of work, as opposed to uh, something like proof of transfer, which is what the Ethereum tokens would use. That's one of the reasons that you experience a lot higher gas fees when using an Ethereum token than you do when you're sending Bitcoin to a buddy, um, is because they use proof of transfer to legitimize the chain or to keep the chain 
uh, the ledger accurate as opposed to Bitcoin uses proof of work. Now, if you wanted me to break down the lines of code involved in that, I, I can't go yeah, that yeah. deep. For but sure. is that answer? I'm curious, actually, because we haven't answered this yet. We yeah. we did our prep work and stuff recently, and I was like, don't tell me the answer to this. I just want to <laughs> wing it. Um, but now I, I actually do want to know the answer. Can you summarize yeah. that? Yeah. So quickly, proof of transfer is actually the system that Stacks uses. Um, so Stacks is a really cool project that's built on top of Bitcoin. Um, and it's so uh, Ethereum is proof of stake. Um, oh, so right. But you're right. I knew that. You're, yeah. you're right, though, in the difference between proof of stake and proof of work. Um, so in terms of the gas fees to the Bitcoin network, they're basically incentive mechanisms. OK, so you have a transaction and then with that transaction, you add a gas fee, which is pretty much telling the people who are mining Bitcoin blocks, hey, I'll pay you this much money to prioritize my transaction over however other many transactions. And you can change that and it'll speed it up or slow it down because you're essentially paying more or less to the person that's mining the block to let your transaction through faster. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically so, it's, um, it's, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and it's something that we already experienced to some extent, right? It's because you have to pay a transaction fee anytime you move money in the current system. And right. when you move money in the current system, or traditional finance, I guess we'll call it, um, you're, you're still paying somebody to move that money around. And in yes. this circumstance, you're just paying someone, you're not even necessarily paying someone to move the money around. You're just basically renting GPU space. Correct. Um, essentially yep. for Bitcoin specifically. Uh, and then the proof of stake uh, works differently in that I'm going to, this is going to be kind of conjecture, but proof of stake works differently uh, because of the fact that it's not the miners who are receiving the transfer fees or the gas fees, it's the stakers who are actually receiving those fees. And I'd assume that they get to essentially set those fees based on the staking pool that they're a yeah. part of. This might be a, a whole other episode that we could have, okay. honestly. <laughs> so, so I think oh, yeah, maybe... we should do proof of stake versus proof yeah. of work. Yeah, 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 that'd be a great episode. And we can have a guest on or two even to talk about that because we would need it. Um, but so I guess coming back to the whole ordinal protocol, basically, there are all of these people that all of a sudden have the ability to put, you know, JPEGs into the blockchain. And, and, and what that does is that raises the data size of the block. Mm -hmm. So I was actually, I just found oh. out yesterday that the largest Bitcoin block ever has been like completed. And it was something like, I'd have to look it up. It was several megabytes worth of data. And so every single node has to download a massive data. So like in my living yeah. room, I've got my node set up. I have like several terabytes worth of storage. And now that is going to be used up faster because people are putting more of this data into the blocks, right? And so people pay more mm -hmm. money because they're trying to prioritize these JPEGs. And so it raises the cost of, you know, transaction for everyone. Right, right. That makes perfect sense too. Like it costs more to ship a, you know, a two-ton excavator than it would cost to ship a piece of paper. Like, yeah, exactly. That that makes exactly. sense. You're right. doing more work, and because it's proof of work, therefore your right. gas fee is going to be higher. Period. Right. So I think we don't need to go too much deeper into this because it's a fascinating conversation. I more just kind of want to tease this out for people. Like, if you want to go do some more research, check out the Ordinal Protocol. I would like to point out a couple things just as the old hand in this particular episode. One, if you know your crypto history, this discussion has already happened once. 
Um, and it resulted in like the Bitcoin Cash, uh, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision split over block sizes. So um, read up on your history. This isn't new. Like this isn't new news. This has been, ha this has had this conversation before. And block size can have a lot of commentary on Bitcoin security. And so it should be taken seriously. I think that's the main thing. But my second point is that if more people are using like higher gas fees, that's enriching the Bitcoin network more, in my opinion, right? Like mm -hmm. we're putting more resource and value into the system. That means demand's going up, you know, so that's a good thing, in my opinion. Like I don't. Yeah, exactly. You're incentivizing your miners even further. Exactly. So. Yeah. What's the big deal? Um, and, and, and like at the end of the day, Bitcoin maximalists seem to care more about Twitter clout than they do about the health and security of the Bitcoin network, you know, just being straight up. And um, it kind of made me laugh to watch Bitcoin maxis like argue for censorship. They're like, no, we shouldn't allow people to like put JPEGs into the blockchain. And I'm like, you know what? I'm running my own Bitcoin node and I don't care if pe people put that into I'm going to keep running my node. I'm not going to stop running my node because people are making bigger blocks. No, I'll go buy more storage, you know, like bring it on. People are doing stuff with the Bitcoin network and that's good. So I know. Isn't it hilarious to hear Bitcoin maxis be like, no, 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 no. Too many people are using the Bitcoin. Yeah, you can <laughs> like, stop. Wait, what? Don't do it. <laughs> so anyway. I'm sorry. Now, maybe that does lead to a split or something, but still, that's it's not very straightforward logic there. Right. And the real Bitcoin will prevail. It has this far and it will continue to, you know, so. Uh, with that, let's let's go ahead and move on. I would encourage more research into Ordinal, uh, but you know it's already happened, so we can move on from this. All right, this is a good question. I like this one a lot. How do you create widespread adoption of Bitcoin, like to the public? Slash, how do you eliminate the overall feeling of negativity towards cryptocurrency, right, for adoption? And I okay. think for context, right, this past year has been just a mess in terms of like FTX and 3AC and all of these big firms that, you know, have created this bad rap around Bitcoin, not just Bitcoin, about around crypto, right? Because they're stealing money, they're going bankrupt. And there's this public sentiment that, oh, crypto and NFTs are the worst and they're just going to steal, steal your money kind of thing. Um, okay, so two questions in one. My... I mean, more answer it's, to this it's less that it's more about sentiment and adoption right well the so okay adoption is this right and we say this in sales all the time uh i, I sell pharmaceutical products for a living so sales is a process of a transfer of enthusiasm from one party to another Ooh, um i like that yeah it's a, it's a brilliant way to think about it if so, and I tried to sell marketing and promotional products uh, back in the day uh, through a company that my father actually owns, and I just couldn't do it because essentially what they sell is, if you think about it, anything you can put a logo on, they sell. Uh, so anything from pins and uh, stress balls all the way up to full-on trade show booths and that sort of thing, right? Okay, yeah. And But their bread and butter is those little promo items because uh, company ABC uh, – needs 10,000 pins and they're going to ship them all over the country so that their salespeople can hand them out as they're going about their jobs. Or like Bluetooth speakers not, or water bottles or something, right? Like, right, right. And yeah, yeah, I okay. just could not get enthusiastic about those products. And right. so what that did was it dampened my sales game so much so that I was unproductive as a salesperson for them. Um, I wasn't actually unproductive. I landed like three of their top 10 accounts, but um, I, I, I didn't want to keep doing it because I just wasn't enthusiastic yeah. about it. 
That's when I sell pharmaceutical products, I'll give you a perfect example. We actually sell a uh, product called, well, I won't give you the brand name. It's actually available in a generic now. It's clonidine extended release. It's a once a day clonidine for people with moderate to severe hypertension uh, or high blood pressure, uh, which I'm kind of in that category, right? I've been a smoker for years. I know I'm going to probably need some blood pressure meds here coming up. And I'd definitely rather take them once a day instead of having to take it two or three times a day to manage sure. my blood pressure. I'm enthusiastic about that product. I think that's a really cool, convenient way to uh, launch a product. It's going to be great for the patients who are probably, if you have severe hypertension, you're on more than one medication. So you're probably going to this. Sorry, this is pharma language, but you're probably already on an ACE inhibitor. You're probably already got your calcium channel blockers going, um, but you still can't get your blood pressure under control. Then a doctor will prescribe clonidine at a certain point. Obviously, ask your doctor. I'm not a doctor and I don't want to play one on the Internet. So um, ask your doctor about all not this financial stuff. advice. NFA. Yeah, exactly. Not, <laughs> not body body finance advice. Um, but I have to be enthusiastic about that medication in order to sell it. I am already enthusiastic about Bitcoin. My recommendation for people who want to promote adoption is to transfer that enthusiasm to other people. The way in which I do this most frequently is I'll hear someone complain about something specifically to do with money. Let's say they want to uh, transfer some money from one bank account to the other, and they're like, ugh. Like, why is this so complicated? This is such an obnoxious thing. I just need this money over here so that I can pay my bill from this account instead of this account where I run all of my budgeting and everything or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Bitcoin actually solves that problem. So like, man, and, and I'll say stuff like this. I, I like to be fun with it. Like, man, if only there was a way that you could just have that money securely live on the internet with no middleman. And they'll, they're like, cool. yeah, exactly. That would be amazing. Just strip the middleman. It's like, man, if only there was a way. <laughs> and at, at about that point, they pick up on the fact that I'm trying to be coy about it. Yeah. And then I'll start talking about Bitcoin. It's like, well, like, I don't want to orange pill you or anything. I'm not trying to sell you on it necessarily. But I do think it's a better way to do things compared to traditional finance. And I'm sure you've been feeling the, the effects of inflation lately. Um, well, part of that's because the government can just print money. And, yeah. you know, they try to be responsible about it, but it's kind of like you ever play Monopoly and you're the banker and yeah. you didn't steal money from the bank. Right. I mean, everybody cheats that, right? <laughs> like yeah. if you're the banker True. in Monopoly, you're going to have a couple extra hundred bucks every yep. round, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, well, guess what? The real banks work a little bit like that too. Like a lot there's bit. some, yeah. there's some corruption that happens uh, because some people are evil. Uh, we can't eliminate that. Some people are evil, so we have to make it as secure as possible. And I think Bitcoin's the way to do that. So that's how I typically will drive adoption in my everyday life. Now, as far as the industry goes that's risen up around Bitcoin, but the way to drive adoption is actually exactly what's happening. We're creating new tools. We're making it more simple. Wonderful products like Roundly X are an excellent uh, foot in the door to start stacking sats, as we like to say. Um, yeah, I, maybe if you're new, you have to look up what a sat is, but that's fine. That's all part of the fun. It's part of the journey. Uh, we all have to do that. That's the experience that I'm currently enjoying is I've got the Bitcoins. Well, over on that bookshelf, uh, I've got the Bitcoin standard on the top of that 
I think it's actually the little white, if you can see in the yeah, camera, I see it. <laughs> it's that little white copy right there. Um, that's the Bitcoin standard and and it needs, it's going to move to my nightstand as soon as uh, I finish the uh, book of five rings. So nice. um, we all have to do that. It's just like you would sit down and do some Googling about like, okay, how do I run my budget? It's the exact same thing. You just have to do it about money. Uh, that's magical internet money now. So yeah. That's typically my answer to that question overall. Um, let me make sure that I got all of the points. How do you create widespread adoption of Bitcoin by the public? Yeah, you got to make your grandma able to buy Bitcoin and use Bitcoin and send Bitcoin. That's yeah. that's the big thing, right? And all of that is happening with the, the I call it infrastructure. Um, people are building infrastructure around Bitcoin. And we, we go back to, it'll probably happen just like Web2 happened, where grandma doesn't know about web two, right? She just right. gets on the internet and Googles pictures of hummingbirds, right? right. Um, she doesn't understand that the fact that she gets to zoom in on that image is part of all of this background of code and craziness of innovation that's happened. Yeah. Um, so that that's where I stand on the adoption driver factor. Yeah, I, that was a great answer, uh, 100%. I was on a Twitter space uh, a couple days back and the person said, you know, back in the 90s, you would see TV ads for the World Wide Web. You know what I mean? And like, go use the World Wide Web, find your information. And like, of course, we don't see ads for the World Wide Web anymore. That's ridiculous. No one even says that. Like if, you know, so that's just kind of a, a brief look at how quickly we transition from, you know, being, oh, like we're not ever going to adopt this technology to it's so commonplace that we don't even use the descriptors that we used to anymore. Like people just assume it, right? So yeah. I think that, uh, so that's, that's, yeah. Nostalgically, I remember someone being like, okay, what's the URL for, what's that website? Okay. It's HTTP <laughs> colon backslash backslash www dot. Right. And then people will be like, oh my gosh, so much to remember. It's like, no, no, no. It's just styledpigeon.com coming soon. By yeah. The way. Yeah. A little, little pitch there. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> Cool. No. Okay. That, so that was a great, that was a great conversation. Um, I'm going to kind of skip down to like a question lower because I feel like it's relevant. Um, okay. Does nation state adoption of Bitcoin result in a positive outcome outcome in your opinion? Like for example, is El Salvador better off because of a Bitcoin standard? And do you think that that plays into that adoption question we were just talking about? Well, it definitely plays into the adoption question. Um, how it plays into the adoption question is a good question. Mm. I'm no expert in global politics. Um, the closest thing I've gotten to really knowing anything about global politics is actually Orson Scott Card's writings, and those books are sci-fi. So, um, <laughs> so when I think about global politics and Bitcoin, my thought is this is a major disruptor of the current financial system. My conjecture would be that what is going to happen for countries like El Salvador is that there is going to be minimal disruption to their current systems mm. because of the fact that El Salvador is not the U.S., right? right. Uh, they don't have the petrol dollar, right? Right. Um, so, so when that conversion happens, which it's already happened, but as that's progressing and and iterating itself, they're going to experience some mild disruption as far as being able to take cash somewhere or the way that money is moved around, but that that will be minimal. 
And then Bitcoin will likely bring them onto a global stage economically mm-hmm. in a way that El Salvador hasn't experienced before. And people that understand Bitcoin and know where it's moving will start moving investments to places like El Salvador instead of moving those investments to other countries. And I think that'll be a huge leg up for them in the next 20 years moving forward, which, you know, as a nation state, you really do need to you're not thinking about things on a four-year cycle. You're thinking right. about things on a on a 25-year cycle, right, uh, right. at least. And you should probably think of, be thinking 100-year cycles. Um, so I think that that's going to be a huge net positive for them. And I'm actually mildly concerned about our resistance to Bitcoin in the U.S. and what that's going to do to our economy as countries like El Salvador, who are kind of like the startups of nation states, right? Startups yeah. move very quickly. You can change things on a dime because there's not enough backing it to where it, it lags behind. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, if you want to change, say, the sugar industry in the U.S., uh, good luck. Like, yeah. th- there's too much there to pivot quickly. Um, right. So I'm a little bit concerned as, as an American citizen at what I see happening in the overall media rhetoric around Bitcoin and everyone going, if uh, one exchange crashed is bitcoin dead now and it's like okay <laughs> like are we even talking about Obviously the same thing not. here like yeah. what what are you talking about yeah um or bitcoin goes to zero like okay that's a great that's a great clickbait title but what like who do you have talking i remember actually i need to i need to look into this further but something that made me laugh really hard on twitter was the uh, uh 20 most influential uh people in crypto yeah. And it was like nobody that I'd ever, yeah. ever heard of before. Same, I was same. Like, who, I, who I looked at the list people? and I was like, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like part of the lifeblood of crypto. Like you're in the space doing this every yeah. single day for 10 to 12 hours a day. And <laughs> you're going, I don't know. What are you yeah. talking about? Who knows? So yeah. that concerns me. But yeah, I think El Salvador is probably in a good place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I... I actually had the pleasure of studying international relations in um, college. And so I found situations like um, the Chicago boys. Um, that was like Milton Friedman and several of his Chicago Institute economists. Um, I believe that it was Bolivia that they went down to in the nineties. Um, I, I could mm-hmm. be butchering this, but essentially the idea is that these guys uh, were radically different economists than were popular at the time. You know, they were, um, Uh, free market economist and this dictator reached out to them and they were like, Hey, we don't know what to do. Our country's about to go into hyperinflation. Come do whatever you want and fix our economy. And so these guys brought, yeah, they brought this highly experimental, like economic idea to Bolivia and turned it around in like less than 10 years, which was shocking at the time. Right. So I think that one situation in a nation state is very similar. Like a lot of people look at nations like El Salvador or even places like Estonia, who has been very blockchain forward. Um, you know, uh, Mauritius is a little island off the coast of Africa. All of these startups, like you say, are experimenting with Bitcoin. And I think that it could very well turn out to be a similar situation to the Chicago boys, where against all odds and against all logic in an international stage, this country all of a sudden just blasts back into relevance. Um, and it could very yeah. well be to the United States detriment because we've kind of been screwing over the little guy with the petrodollar for the last 50 years or more, yeah. you know? And so 
we kind of have it coming. So I hope as an American that we get our policy straightened out sooner rather than later too. Um, but you know, I don't see that in the cards right now. <laughs> well, this is something that's always bothered me. And, and I want to just mention it briefly because I think it's relevant to people who are in our category or our genre of person um, where I've always considered myself to be relatively intellectual, even though a lot of times I've worked like hard labor jobs and that sort of thing. Um, even though I haven't been in academia, I'm, I consider myself to be smart. And the thing that's always bothered me when I watch politics or mass media is I don't understand why we're not trying to do the best thing for everyone. Mm. Like, like it boggles my mind. Like if there's a better way to do things, why would you not do that? That's, it, it drives me up a wall. And, and the dictator story is the perfect story, right? He goes, look, whatever we're doing ain't working. Okay. So we need to get some people who know what's going on in here to be like, Hey, we have a better way to do things and just implement that. Now, yeah. obviously that's a very liberal perspective and extreme liberalism can be dangerous. If you change things too quickly on like a national level, yeah. uh, the infrastructure can fall apart and you really don't have any idea what the consequences are going to be, but like, let's test some things and right. see what can, uh, anyway, sorry. So if you're in that category, like, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> oh good plug i love it i love it you're on fire today man okay so <laughs> thank let's you, thank you let's look forward into the future a little bit so like we've done the politics we've done the basic noob questions so now let's ask a more complicated question that's fascinating so how will bitcoin retain value when all 21 million of the bitcoin are mined right so there's not going to be the, the reason that bitcoin miners have incentive to mine right now is that they literally get issued bitcoin for doing so but in the year mm -hmm. 2140, that's going to stop and all 21 million Bitcoin will be in circulation. So why should it retain value at that point? Well, I think this goes, ah, gosh, I hit it when my Southern comes out. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's a question of scarcity. Um, one of the fundamental pr principles of economics, as I understand it, is scarcity. If you if you have a limited demand, or sorry, if you have a limited supply and ample demand, the price goes up. That's a very simple equation, uh, mm. and Bitcoin takes advantage of that equation, or rather, puts that equation to good use, because there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. That allows us to say, okay, well, I know that this is going to be scarce at a specific point. Right. How do I stack enough sats to where when it's when it's actually uh, rare to have this much Bitcoin, it's in my wallet. So the scarcity is what creates that value. Yeah. And that's totally. actually the end of the answer. The that's the answer to the question. It's scarcity. No, no. Scarcity I is think the answer. Yeah. And if we break that down on a really simple level, um, again, I'll, I'm, I'm going off of memory here, but I believe that the if you divided up all 21 million Bitcoin between all the people on Earth, that's something like 0 0.002668 Bitcoin per person, which um, let me see. I want to do some math real quick on conversion just so that people listening can kind of understand uh, what that is on the U.S. dollar level, because it's not much right now. Um, let's see. 0 0.002668. So right now that's about $61 of Bitcoin. 
Okay. So if you, I, I really want, if you're watching, I want you to think about this. <laughs> if, if you, if you think, okay, so Nick said the fee should be enough to sustain the system. True that, right? So people are still going to have to pay fees to be able to participate in the network. That doesn't change. Also the true. fact that miners get the, the funds is the part that's going to change. Scarcity is not. So if you right now go and buy $61 worth of Bitcoin, you're guaranteed to have at least as much as every other human on the planet if we divided it evenly. Now, I can tell you right now, it's not divided evenly. <laughs> so if you want a chance to be in like, you know, more than the 1%, right? You can go out and buy 100 bucks of Bitcoin right now and you're set. You just got to hold that, right? So it is a good way to think about scarcity is that once all 21 million are out, it's like, it's it's like everyone's game, right? Everyone gets a yeah. chance at, at, at the pie, but the value is going to skyrocket because the demand's there. Not even all of that Bitcoin is going to be accessible either. Because I mean, right. personally, I, I know I've spent at least a couple hundred dollars investing in more scarcity by sending Bitcoin to non-existent wallets. So we appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my part, you know. I, I've done that same thing too, man. So no shame. Like everyone does it at some point or another. So it's a milestone for Bitcoin, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that was a good answer. I, I feel satisfied with that. Um, and so I want to throw out a little bit of a of a crazy question kind of in follow-up to the futuristic thing. So in your opinion, what is the biggest threat or risk to Bitcoin? Like could AI or quantum mechanics or something pose risk? I just want to know what like Pigeon's perspective is on that. Um, I suppose that AI and quantum computing could pose a risk, but the risk would be that we discover something bigger or better. Mm. Um, if, if you take all of the computational power of the brains on the planet, the organic brains, and you compare that to the computational power of a massive network of quantum computers run by an artificial intelligence of some sort in you know 30 years or whatnot they they might very well be able to come up with something better um mm -hmm. that could be a an existential threat sure uh things like uh global nuclear war are a threat to bitcoin <laughs> yeah you know that's a threat um, to a lot more than bitcoin too <laughs> Right, right. So I, I typically, and this is an argument I hear a lot uh, from people that I'm trying to introduce to Bitcoin or crypto in general, is they're like, well, what if the world explodes? And I'm like, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It, it won't be able to handle that. If we turn into a post-apocalyptic situation, you're 100% right. But guess what? I'm going to be stealing your food at that point. Okay. I'm going to yeah. be like, I'm going <laughs> to yep. be going like full on anime character at that point point so it's fine I, i'm not worried about that and and i i hesitate to share this but um because the bible's heavily criticized <laughs> but it's the story of noah right like we know a storm is coming the question is how big is that storm going to be so i'm going to try to prepare for as many of those storms as possible and i'm going to try to build a big enough boat to hold my family and when the storm hits I'm going to do my best to survive the storm. If that storm looks like post-apocalyptic, you know, radiation fallout across the globe, uh, I might, uh, oh no, it looks like John might've just lost the internet. 
Um, I might have some issues uh, coming along that are a lot bigger than how big is my bank account. So that's essentially my answer to that question. So we're going to um, just, oh, hey, are you back? Okay, technical difficulties for a second. So that's essentially my take on, you know, the existential threats to Bitcoin as a whole. So those things being what they are, I don't think that Bitcoin's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, assuming that again, we don't end up in a, a, a worldwide fallout situation. So I've actually got the uh, list of questions here. So I'm gonna ask myself a question <laughs> and uh, hopefully John will be back here in just a second. Um, so one of the questions that I hear a lot, especially from newer people is when moon is how we put it. Um, and why does price matter? Like when, when, if I buy X number of Bitcoin, when am I going to be ultra wealthy and be able to quit my job and uh, travel the world and do whatever I want? The answer to that question from my perspective is that doesn't matter a whole lot to me. I'm not involved in this space because I'm trying to get wealthy. I'm not involved in this space because it's a get rich quick scheme. That's not the plan. My plan is uh, a steady investment in some in a new technology that I genuinely believe in over time. And that is generally a good strategy that we've seen in even traditional finance, right? You, It's kind of the Warren Buffett method, actually. You pick something that you really believe in, that you've read the literature on, you understand as much as you can, and then you invest into that steadily over time. And that makes your overall stack go up or your bankroll go up. And that's really my goal. So, and especially when it comes to like family matters, um, my family operates as a family unit. Um, we think that's the best way to do things is to all kind of work together. And so I actually relegate things like precious metals to other members of my family. Like, hey, you know about precious metals, you believe in precious metals, great. I want that to be in the family too. And then they look at me and they go, okay, you know about this crypto stuff, you know about Bitcoin, you handle the investments on that side, and that's what I do. So it's really a balance um, of diversifying your portfolio and doing that dollar cost averaging like we talked about with Roundly X. Uh, in order to stack that wealth pool and ultimately try and create generational wealth that will be passed down to maybe the kids that we have in the future. We'll <laughs> got to find somebody to do that with first. <laughs> okay, next question. Oh, hey, he's back. Okay, I'm back, but I'm on my phone because uh, I'm in... Uh-oh, you're still super laggy. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, there he is. Okay, I'll, I'll disappear. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, wow. okay, sorry about that. As I was saying, I'm in Texas and the ice storms have taken out our internet, so I'm calling back in from my phone. <laughs> okay, cool. I just went over uh, when moon, why does price matter? Uh, essentially, the answer is just to catch you up. Uh, my answer is, I don't really care about the price. I believe that the price will go up over a longer period of time. My family diversifies its wealth in order to try and create generational wealth. So I focus on Bitcoin and crypto, while other people in the family focus on precious metals and things like that. And so uh, my job in the family is to stack sats. And so while I do 
while I am confident that Bitcoin will moon, that has no reason to be rapid for me. Um, and in fact, it's actually more advantageous for me to be for it to be a little bit slower. I've been loving buying Bitcoin at sub 20K prices. Um, that's the time to stack for me um, because I believe it will moon um, and I believe in the technology and that it will eventually be adopted. That's basically my stance on that question. Um, would that be yeah. a sufficient answer for you if you were a newbie? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think another important thing to thing to say there um, that a lot of Bitcoin people say often, and I think isn't understood, but people say one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, right? At the end of the day, that's what matters. It's not the dollar value. What really matters is the amount of Bitcoin that you're accruing. So. Hmm. That's why we say dollar cost average. That's why roundly X and spare change makes so much sense because, you know, even if you want to say, okay, one Bitcoin is way too much money. There's no way I can save $23,000. I understand that feeling, right? That's like insurmountable, but you could say, could you save 0.002668 Bitcoin, right? That's 60 bucks. Yeah. I guess you absolutely can save that. Like cut out one of your Starbucks coffee every, every week or something like that. And you'll be there in a couple months, you know? Um, mm -hmm. just stack the number, right? Don't think about the dollar value. And, um, because the math says that anyone that dollar costs averages for more than four years ends up being in, in the green, they're growing their money over that span of time with Bitcoin. That's historically, that's not saying that I can predict the future, but you know, you can't say that at the dollar, right? You can't say that if you've held the dollar for more than four years that you're in profit. So I'll take in that. Fact, with you could Bitcoin very accurately right? say that if you've held the dollar for more than four years, you don't have as much money as you started with. Correct. By that's quite actually a, factual. Quite a big margin. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, so um, let's see. Give me that next. We question had a couple other questions. Yeah. Um, I think that w the other questions. So I'll just read them off. Um, we could do probably another episode on these. Um, some of the things that you can think about, maybe go do more research on. Why should I use something that was built by an anonymous person on the internet? I mean, I think a That's really a easy one. answer to that. My, I was talking with my dad about this exact thing um, recently. And people use airplanes all the time without knowing how they work or who built them. And they trust their life to them regularly. You know, you don't go to the airport and be like, hey, I need to understand how this airplane works and who built this airplane so that I can feel safe to fly across the country. Like, no, you pay your money, you get on and you do it. Are you risking your life when you fly? Of course you are. By comparison, Bitcoin doesn't have a person that's backing it. They can be arrested where it can be taken down. Does that mean that there's some discomfort and not knowing who created it? Sure, but like you're not risking your life whenever you save in Bitcoin rather than dollars. So either one, you gotta learn how to how an airplane works and know every time like who built it and same for the internet. Right. Uh, so I don't think that's a really good question, <laughs> honestly. And that's what I tell most people when yeah. they ask that question, I'm like, are you thinking this through at all? <laughs> uh, so yeah. And but it's then, also, um, um, so uh, let me add to that real quick. Is yeah, please. If, if you don't know who built it, that's actually fine because you don't need to know who built it to know what they built. And True. Bitcoin is just code. If you really want to be that critical, look at the code. See if it works the way that you think it does. See if it works better than you think it does. See if you're okay with the way it works. But right. if there's nobody associated on the back end and it's just running, then who cares who kicked the ball down the street? Like, it's rolling. Right. Let's yeah. see if it's going to roll as far as we want it to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see if I can. I might be able to pop back on my computer now. 
Uh, I'm not super worried about it, John. I think that we're actually at a pretty good stopping point. Uh, if you okay. want to wrap up, um, or yeah. I, I can go ahead and jump into wrapping up. Uh, obviously, we did want to get around to, isn't Bitcoin horrible for the environment? Isn't going to boil the, boil the oceans in five years or something? Um, if you want to hear more about that, just go and watch uh, Gingerly episode three. It's called What the FUD. Uh, you can actually find it on YouTube. Um, that's the uh, Bitcoin Live Network on YouTube. Um, and I'm sure um, Nick can post that or drop that in the chat for us. And um, then we're on Spotify the, too. Oh yeah, that's right. We're on Spotify too. So check us out on Spotify if you prefer just audio. That's actually my preference most of the time is uh, Spotify in the car on the way to work. So um, I did want to go ahead and mention if if there are questions that we asked today that you could not answer yourself or maybe you would be a little shaky answering them yourself. Please subscribe to both of our channels, subscribe to us or follow us on Twitter and all of that. We have tons of content continually coming out um, and not just about Bitcoin specifically, we're doing all sorts of crypto stuff and we're also diving into the AI space a lot lately, uh, though that won't be happening on Gingerly. It's just something that we're interested in checking out and, and seeing where that technology goes as well. Um, and if there are any big questions that you think that we should have asked uh, that you want maybe John to grill me with later, go ahead and post those uh, on whatever uh, source you're watching this on, uh, whether it's YouTube, Spotify. I don't think you can leave questions on Spotify, though, actually, can you? Not that I know of. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So hit us up on Twitter. I've never left a comment on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, so hit us up on Twitter, uh, worst case scenario. We're always on Twitter unfortunately or otherwise. Um, so you can definitely find us there. Um, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another uh, episode topic. Yeah, I think we're going to have some guests on here soon, which I'm really excited about. We have so many smart friends and um, it's been a while since we've had a guest on Gingerly. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think we're, we might be talking to Jack Benswitch and a couple other fun friends. So um yeah, stay tuned. Two weeks, we'll be hitting you with episode 12. And Pigeon, great job on your interrogation, man. I'm I'm proud. Thank you. you did a great job. Um, and I hope that people watching have benefited from, uh, you know, being able to think about some of the hard questions of Bitcoin. So, yeah, until next time, my friend, it's a pleasure. Nick, if you could roll the credits. <laughs>